DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from Dr. Lillis's lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's an author of several books, including Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation on Prayer, and Fire from Above, Christian Contemplation and Mystical Wisdom. In this particular series of conversations, we will focus on the spiritual writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and in particular, her retreat entitled Heaven in Faith. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Hello. How are you, Chris? I'm eager to begin the second day of Heaven and Faith, a beautiful retreat that was given to us through the writings and works of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. This retreat, Heaven and Faith, written for her sister Geet, this reflection, this first prayer for the second day of this retreat centers around the idea that our hearts are meant to be a heaven where God dwells. And God does dwell there by our baptism and by grace. Uh, When we renew our faith through the sacraments, through going to confession, his dwelling presence can become the animating principle of our lives. The kingdom of God is within you. A while ago, God invited us to remain in Him, to live spiritually in His glorious heritage. And now He reveals to us that we do not have to go out of ourselves to find Him. The kingdom of God is within. St. John of the Cross says that it is in the substance of the soul where neither the devil nor the world can reach that God gives Himself to it. Then all its movements are divine, and although they are from God, they also belong to the soul, because God works them in it and with it. The same saint also says that God is the center of the soul. So when the soul, with all its strength, will know God perfectly, love Him and enjoy Him fully, then it will have reached the deepest center that can be attained in him. Before attaining this, the soul is already in God who is its center, but it is not yet in its deepest center, for it can still go further. Since love is what unites us to God, the more intense this love is, the more deeply the soul enters into God and the more it is centered in him. When it possesses even one degree of love, it is already in its center. But when this love has attained its perfection, the soul will have penetrated into its deepest center. There it will be transformed into the point of becoming very like God. To this soul living within can be addressed the words of Père Lacordaire to St. Mary Magdalene. No longer ask for the Master among those on earth or in heaven, for He is your soul, and your soul is He. Here we get into an an interesting idea. It has to do 
with the primacy of grace in the spiritual life. A lot of people Mm -hmm. want to lay stress on the primacy of their own efforts in the spiritual life. And the spiritual life does take great effort, but it is not by our cleverness that we grow in our friendship with God. It's rather by our humble submission to the great work that God is doing in our soul in establishing his kingdom there. It is by our search for him in our hearts that we are able to discover, able to experience, able to encounter his his transforming power. He's the one who does the work. We're the one who says yes to it. To help us understand this point, Elizabeth of the Trinity refers us to her spiritual father, St. John of the Cross, and his teachings that God dwells in the substance of the soul. John of the Cross was a Spanish mystic who lived in the 16th century. He was a very pious young man from a very poor family who loved Jesus and wanted to be a priest. And while he was in formation, he wondered what kind of priest he should be. He knew he wanted to be a religious. He wanted to dedicate himself to prayer. He had thought about being a Carthusian because the Carmelites with whom he he was in community didn't seem to be strict enough. But then mm-hmm. he ran into Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avila. Uh, Teresa of Avila was the reformer of the Carmelites in 16th century Spain. And in her own life, she discovered that through intimacy with Christ, God's power could transform one's life. She had experienced this very personally in prayer. What she wanted to do with her life is she wanted to live, be a good religious or at least someone everybody thought was a good religious, but she also kind of wanted to enjoy a fun life too. And she didn't realize, but she was tormenting herself by uh, trying to have it both ways. And one day on her way to choir, she experienced Jesus looking at her in love. She actually was walking up the stairs to pray the Liturgy of the Hours to the chapel. And she rounded a corner and there was an image of Jesus scourged and crowned with thorns. The image is called the Ece Omo. It's the image before Pilate when Pilate said, Behold the man. And Teresa of Avila, she looked at that statue and she said it was as if Jesus was looking back at her personally with love. She experienced Jesus at that moment. And she fell down on her knees and she wept and she wept to to God. She was tired of having it both ways. She was tired of backsliding. She's tired of her mediocrity. She wanted to live all the way for God. She didn't know how because she had the attachments to friendships and attachments to certain, oh, just pleasures and silliness in her life. She was attached to it. She didn't want to give up the silliness. Here she was pierced to the heart. She wept. She begged Jesus for the, for the grace not to backslide anymore, 
to give her heart fully to him. And she said, I, I wasn't going to get up until he gave me the grace that I never backslide again, that I be faithful to him in prayer. And Jesus gave her the grace and she discovered in that moment the secret of the primacy of prayer and the primacy of grace in the spiritual life. If we want to live a good spiritual life, we need to pray. If we want to pray, we need to go within. What she tapped into and what she discovered was what she called mental prayer. We translate mental prayer in English as a contemplation or contemplative prayer. And mental prayer is the prayer that we render to God when we attend to him, to his presence, with devotion of heart. Elizabeth of the Trinity, in recalling this doctrine of St. John of the Cross, St. John, who was also influenced by Teresa of Avila, and later her spiritual director, is that this devotion to Christ, this attentiveness, the secret of deep prayer, is to realize that God isn't outside yourself, but his presence lives in your depths. And so, building on the tradition of St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Elizabeth, in this passage, is calling us to enter into what some writers today call interiority, to to develop and mature the, the inner man, to not neglect the deep things of the heart. Because the kingdom of God, the dwelling presence of God in the depths of our souls, this is the deepest reality of our hearts. Our hearts are meant to be like tabernacles, places where the presence of God dwells. Elizabeth knows this. John of the Cross taught it. Teresa of Avila experienced it. And Elizabeth now wants her sister, Geet, to experience this. The kingdom of God is within you. A while ago, God invited us to remain in him, to live spiritually in his glorious heritage. And now he reveals to us that we do not have to go out of ourselves to find him. The kingdom of God is within St. John of the Cross says that it is in the substance of the soul where neither the devil nor the world can reach that God gives himself to it. Then all its movements are divine and although they are from God they also belong to the soul because God works them in it and with it. Anthony, what do you suppose are the barriers in today's world to us appreciating this need to go into the interiority? Well, there's a theologian who said that we are souls that are technologized to the point of being vacuums. And what he meant mm -hmm. by that is we are so involved with making things, accomplishing things, attaining things, possessing things that our involvement, our preoccupation with things doesn't allow us, distracts us from, rather, the deeper needs of the heart. When we distract ourselves from those deeper needs, it's not as if those needs go away and, and magically kind of disappear. They're there, and if we don't meet those needs, bad things, uh, we subject ourselves to bad things and horrific mistakes in life. If we don't attend to the deep places of the heart. If we don't seek God in those deep places, we don't find him there. If we allow ourselves to be distracted by things, 
by all our activity that we accomplish, that we do, that we're self-sufficient in. We don't learn to rely on God, to find him in our hearts. These needs that we have, these unmet riddles that are in the depths of our heart, they can manifest themselves in destructive ways. Some people, after neglecting their spiritual life for years and years and years, suddenly realize that they're spiritually hungry. They turn to New Age movement stuff and even to the occult, and they get involved in all kinds of life-wrecking things. Other people turn to drugs and all kinds of insobriety and escapism. And those who aren't given over to a material religion like the New Age movement is or, or the occult or, or given over to drugs and insobriety or, or, or alcohol, what ends up happening to them is they, they live very anxious lives, uh, lives uh, completely filled with fear. Uh, Augustine saw the same thing in the Romans, 4th century, were also neglecting their spiritual life. After the fall of the Roman Empire, they're wondering whether or not the reason why the Roman Empire fell was because they had forsaken paganism and embraced Christianity, and Christianity wasn't meeting their spiritual needs. And Augustine says, the problem isn't that Christianity hasn't met your spiritual needs. You haven't really tried Christianity out yet. He says that if you look back at your pagan days and what you attained, you never met those deep needs of your heart. You were restless then in all the great achievements that you made. All the glory uh, that you achieved, uh, ancient Rome achieved, had the fragile brilliance of glass, a brilliance of crystal. It was a joy far outweighed by the fear that it would be shattered in an instant. And I think that pretty much summarizes what's going on with most people today. They're caught up in the glory and the joy of attaining a kind of material bliss in this world. And when they finally attain it, if they attain it, the joy they have is outweighed, overshadowed by the fear that they could lose it all. And so by that anxiety or the insobriety or the the pursuit of kind of false spiritualities which really dehumanize us. And people have neglected the interiority they need to live life well. They live life halfway. They don't have the fullness of life that Jesus wants for them. Elizabeth, in this passage, she's saying to us, to us lay people, the fullness of life can be ours. It's waiting for us. But to have it, we must seek it. We must seek the kingdom of God that is within us. We must seek our deepest center. And one of the, the things she says, the pathway to seeking this deepest center is love. The John of the Cross says that the deepest truth of the human heart is our love for God. And we're meant to rest in that love. God's love for us and our love for God. The reason why we're able to love God, the reason why we have the love of God in us, is because he's loved us even more first before we even deserved it. He's loved us. He's lavished his love upon us in ways we cannot even begin to imagine or fathom. It's just there, and it's waiting for us in the depths of our heart, waiting for us by our going into prayer. Uh, But to go into the love that God has for us, to enter into his kingdom by this prayerful movement of heart, We need to go there. We need to seek him in love. 
uh, we need to desire him in love. We need to allow our, that love for him to take over our lives. And the more we allow to do that, the more we remove the obstacles to his love from our lives, the anxious pursuit of things or attainment of glory or desire for reputation and all kinds of other things. The more we do that and we, the more we put God first, John of the Cross is saying, Elizabeth is quoting him, that we enter deeper and deeper into our depths, into our deepest center. God is the center of the soul. So when the soul, with all its strength, will know God perfectly, love Him and enjoy Him fully, then it will have reached the deepest center that can be attained in Him. Before attaining this, the soul is already in God who is its center, but it is not yet in its deepest center, for it can still go further. Since love is what unites us to God, the more intense this love is, the more deeply the soul enters into God and the more it is centered in Him. When it possesses even one degree of love, it is already in its center. But when this love has attained its perfection, the soul will have penetrated into its deepest center. There it will be transformed into the point of becoming very like God. The heart for John of the Cross for Elizabeth it's like a planet with a gravitational force. Mm-hmm. And that gravitational is the love of God in us. We are meant to rest in the deepest center of that gravitational force. When we have other preoccupations, other priorities in life, and have a little love of God, we rest in God, but not as deeply as we could. And when we don't rest in God as deeply as we can, exterior things, pursuits, anxieties, disturb us. We want to escape from them. We feel like our our faith isn't meeting our needs. But if we remove those obstacles and we enter into the deepest center and begin to live our life by love, for love, in love, Mm -hmm. John of the Cross, Elizabeth the Trinity says, we rest in love. We discover a peace that nothing in this world can take away from us. This is what Teresa of Avila experienced that day before the statue when she broke down in tears and called for Jesus to become the center of her life. This is what John the Cross yearned for in his ministry and why he directed souls to seek God in their deepest substance. He wanted people to be able to live out of love because he knew that is the secret to happiness. That's the secret to a joy that nothing in this world can take away. For those out there who may be leery just of an idea of going into the center because of their preconceptions on that the interiority life being connected somehow with the New Age movement or something that is of a religion that looks for a void, this is very different, isn't it, in that it you enter into this interiority with the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. The chief difference here, the distinguishing feature of Christian contemplation, and that's what John of the Cross, Elizabeth, are inviting us to, to enter into, is that it's always interpersonal. It's not really about attaining experiences, and that's where these other forms of mysticism are misleading. People are looking for a psychic state, an emotional experience, 
uh, some kind of enlightenment that's going to make sense out of their life. And so, and looking for an, either an intellectual experience, an emotional experience, a psychic state of, in trying to pursue some sort of mental hygiene. They don't really get to experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. John of the Cross, Elizabeth of the Trinity, Teresa of Avila, Therese of Lisieux, Sister Faustina, all these great saints that the church is entrusted with, they are concerned that we go into our hearts to meet Jesus who waits for us there. It's interpersonal. If there are voids in our heart and emptiness and abysses that we must suffer, we suffer them not because the abyss, the void, the nothingness is desirable in itself. We enter into those, uh, that kind of emptiness, because Jesus is waiting for us there. He yearns for us there. And so a void or emptiness in prayer might be an experience. You go to pray and it just feels like nothing's happening. A lot of people think because they feel like nothing's happening, it doesn't feel like the kingdom of God is in me. I don't feel like I'm resting in my deepest center. And because they don't feel it, they, they believe they haven't really entered into it. And Well, what they've really entered into is a kind of emotional void. Jesus is deeper than our emotions. He's deeper than our intellectual ideas. Jesus isn't about enlightenment. He's not about an emotional high. He's not about a psychic state. He's in the substance of our soul. When you're dealing with a psychic state or emotions or intuition or uh, some form of enlightenment, you're dealing with psychological operations, the, the uh, acts of our intellects and our wills. Those faculties, those powers are given to our souls, but they're not the deepest part. The reality of being a human person isn't exhausted by our thoughts and by our feelings and by our intuitions. Our thoughts, our feelings, our intuitions are rooted in something deeper about the human person. The human person is made in the image and likeness of God. And more than we experience and more than what we do, it's what we are, who we are, that is in the image and likeness of God. And it's in who we are, in the substance of our souls, that our deepest union with God is unfolding and taking place. The kingdom of God is within you. A while ago, God invited us to remain in Him, to live spiritually in His glorious heritage. And now He reveals to us that we do not have to go out of ourselves to find Him. The kingdom of God is within. St. John of the Cross says that it is in the substance of the soul where neither the devil nor the world can reach that God gives himself to it. Then all its movements are divine and although they are from God they also belong to the soul because God works them in it and with it. The same saint also says that God is the center of the soul. So when the soul, with all its strength, will know God perfectly, love Him and enjoy Him fully, then it will have reached the deepest center that can be attained in Him. Before attaining this, the soul is already in God who is its center, but it is not yet in its deepest center, for it can still go further. 
Since love is what unites us to God, the more intense this love is, the more deeply the soul enters into God and the more it is centered in Him. When it possesses even one degree of love, it is already in its center. But when this love has attained its perfection, the soul will have penetrated into its deepest center. There it will be transformed into the point of becoming very like God. To this soul living within can be addressed the words of Père Lacordaire to Saint Mary Magdalene. No longer ask for the Master among those on earth or in heaven, for He is your soul, and your soul is He. Does Christian spirituality, does it have voids and emptiness and nights that we suffer and that we have to deal with? Yes, we do. But we suffer and we deal with those. We're on a quest for Jesus. His kingdom is within us. He's in the substance of our souls. And sometimes we must go into deep, painful places to find him. But he's waiting there for us, yearning for us. And when we seek him, we will find him because the reality of our faith, the reason why he died for us, is so that we can know him. We can have access to him. And we have access to him not by clever techniques and not by attaining states of consciousness or anything like that. We find him, we experience him, even we know him, we encounter him, even when we don't feel him, even when it's difficult to think about him, even when our imaginations kind of don't allow us to ponder the scriptures, even in the face of all that poverty, we still meet him and his great love for us and his revelation of the Father's love for us and his revelation about the truth of who we are because he's there by the power of grace and we access him not by those things but by our faith, by the decision to believe that he's there, by the decision to believe that what he's revealed to us is true. We access those realities quite apart from what we experience with him. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. This has been a beautiful reflection, and I'm enjoying doing this with you. God bless. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Be sure to check out the comprehensive summary and reflection questions contained in the show notes for this episode. These resources are specifically designed to enhance your prayer life and to aid you on your spiritual journey. To find more programs in this series and hundreds of other spiritual formation programs and prayers, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find them within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.